Welcome to Ninada, the Waves of Music. I'm Chaitra, and today we will continue our conversation with the Veena couple, Jayshree and J.T. Jairaj Krishnan. Last time we spoke about the Veena, about the traditions of musical training that they grew up in, what teaching music has meant to them, and about the similarities and differences between the two traditions of Indian classical music, the Hindustani and the Carnatic traditions. Today, we will continue our conversation in more depth, delving into the rich world of Carnatic music. So, we have been talking about your learning experiences and what music means to you. Let's now turn towards the art of performing. The format for Carnatic concerts is the RTP format. The R, the Raga, which is an elaboration of the notes of the Raga we are rendering, followed by the T, the Tanam, which is unique to the Veena, as it happens, and Pallavi, which is yet another form of improvisation. So, tell us more about how this is an improvised form of music and what it actually means to have this Ragam, Tanam, Pallavi uh, concept here. Again, it's a very interesting question because it also relates to a certain evolutionary aspect of our music. So if when we want to talk about the overall evolutionary aspect, it, it comes as a part of a subset of that, okay? Mm-hmm. There is a certain codification of our music that has happened. Mm-hmm. This codification is not new to Carnatic music. Mm-hmm. This codification is something which is common across all forms of music. If let's take Western music for I just deviate a bit before I come to this because there's a reason why I want to deviate. Okay? Yeah, of course. If you really look at Western music, right? Initially, it used to be just single chants, Gregorian chants of monks. Mm-hmm. So they were, to a large extent, you know, they were all monophonic chants, which means there were single chants, and then they moved to a you know polyphonic activity where you started having number of voices coming together, you started having harmony, then you had those musical periods in the Western classical music. It started from the medieval period, then you had the Renaissance, and then you had the classical period, mm-hmm. the romantic period. Slowly music started developing. Then you started having those Mozart sonatas and all of that. So what is it actually? You are actually codifying, yeah. right? You're bringing a certain sense of standardization as to how things need to work. Now, the same thing happened in Indian music too. We said that with, before, if you talk about Hindustani or Carnatic, they were same. We all believed that they came from the Samavedas and it was a thing of gods and goddesses. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but what happened was we started codifying ourselves. Mm-hmm. The codifying didn't happen only in South. The codifying happened in the North too. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we had the a person called Vishnu Narayan Bhatkande. Okay. He is the person who brought this thought concept in Hindustani music, which is largely comparable to our Melakartha. Right. And we had Venkatamakisar who actually started looking at codification in a very big way. Mm-hmm. He brought the 72 Melakarthas. Before that, the codification started with Purandara Dasa himself. He started creating the Geetams and all of that. So codifications started becoming a part of life. Mm-hmm. But again, what happens somewhere in between, you have to look at history. 
The North was open to a lot of foreign influence. You had a lot of Persian influence coming in. Mm -hmm. You had a certain methodology to do things, mm -hmm. but it was also a little bit of free flow. But the codification in the South, because of it being more cocooned, became a little more rigorous. Mm -hmm. Okay, and the need for music also started differing slightly because ours is still essentially a Hindu outcome of our music in the South. Yeah. Which means what? You were looking at temples, you were trying to talk about how do I sing the praises of God, goddesses, etc. And at some point of time, this codification went to a point where the three, the trinities of a classical music, that is Nutuswami Dikshitar, Jagaraja and Shama Sastri completely took over. Mm -hmm. So what did they do? They started singing their compositions in praise of lords and goddesses and gods and Rama and all of it because it was their expression of their bhakti. It's mm -hmm. a bhakti marga. So that became the basis of the genesis of our music. Mm -hmm. So we started becoming more composition oriented. Right. I'm not saying only composition, but we started becoming composition oriented. This Bhakti Marga was at a limited level in the north because of multiple, you know, influences. There was Allah, there was Jesus, there was Rama, everybody lived together. But in the south, it was not so. Mm -hmm. So the codification started becoming more rigorous here. But, but before this codification happened, people used to sing ragam for five days at a stretch. A single ragam dhanam pallavi would finish the concert, but the concert will go for five days. Okay, so that is how it was. And then you had a gentleman called Aryakudi Ramana Jayangar. Mm -hmm. He is actually credited with creating this thing about starting with a Varnam, then you have, a, you know, Vinayagar song, Ganesha. Ganesha. The overall concert, overall concert right. format that you see, mm -hmm. he started bringing in because he wanted to bring a certain standardization. Mm -hmm. So as you start, what happens is in the name of evolution and the name name of uh, improvisation you start looking at some sort of a standardization some sort of a coding so that is why the it became a good amalgamation between what we call it as a kalpita and kalpana sankita mm -hmm. okay so the balance started becoming more important for us mm -hmm. because we had so many compositions to contend with mm -hmm. and uh, carnatic music per se i think it's one of the best forms of uh, classical music in the world where you have such a balance of the compositional form, that is the composed form and the mm -hmm. improvised form. Mm -hmm. And uh, the composed forms are of such a high order. Mm -hmm. The language mm -hmm. used, the, uh, you know, the grammar, mm -hmm. the expression. You actually, when you go through the meaning of each and every song, there's so much that you can learn. Yeah. You know, so it gives you really the best of both worlds in terms of its sheer expansivity. I sometimes do feel we do get bridled with this concert format and getting everything compressed into this uh, mm -hmm. thing. But people are breaking out of it slowly. Mm -hmm. yeah. But then um, the ideal uh, mix, if you ask me, would be to take this one or two grand compositions mm -hmm. and present them in a very, very, very wholesome way. Yeah. Those days, there used to be four fire concert was a norm. Like mm -hmm. if Bala Subramaniam sir or Mother Maniyar, my father used to say they used to start at 4.30 in the afternoon and go till about 10 in the night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the sheer magnanimity of what you have to present is so much. Yeah. And the other very important thing about this 
you know, balance between composed music and innovative music is when you come to the composition part, mm. you do not compromise. You don't change anything. You don't change anything. You sing exactly the way that's been taught to you. Mm. Whereas you have the ragam, you have the tanam, you have the naraval, you have the swaram, you have the ragam tanam pallavi. Mm. That's where you innovate. Mm. That is your scope for innovation, not at the song level. Mm -hmm. I do think it's uh, a lot about internalizing. You have to spend time. You have to contemplate. Mm -hmm. Only then you can bring out the best aspects of uh, improvised music. That's very true. Uh, a part of this improvisation is ragam, as you said, which is just expanding the notes of each ragam and trying to bring out the essence of a ragam. But the next part of it is the tanam, which is where I guess the veena plays a very prominent role. So uh, can you tell us more about the Tanam aspect of this improvisation? There are two aspects of Tanam. One is the concept and one is the technique. Okay. So I'm going to request Jayashree to talk about the technique because she is one of the very few people who can do better than her. Let me just talk about the concept part of it. Okay. A Tanam is like in the Hindustani concept, if you go to a real somewhat a comparability, the Jhala that they have. Mm -hmm. There are various standards of Tanam also. There are different ways of playing the Tanam. Mm -hmm. Having said that, the Tanam is abbreviated word, Tanam itself. It is a summation of two words. Okay. Anantam and Anantam. What is Anantam? Never Endless. Mm -hmm. What is Anandam? Joyous. So put the two together. Endless, Endless joy. If your Tanam does not give that, then you have not met the objectives of the Tanam. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tanam is actually uh, unique to the Veena. There is nothing that can do as much justice to a Tanam as Veena can. One is, of course, the presence of the sympathetic uh, strings heightens the experience. Mm -hmm. But that's uh, a small aspect of it, if you ask me. There are so many techniques that go into playing the Veena. One is that you have this inherent sense of rhythm where you don't uh, you know, uh, deviate into the raga alapana when you are performing mm -hmm. the tanam. Mm -hmm. It has to be rhythmic. It has to be um, adhering to the grammar of the ragam. Mm -hmm. But it does peter out to just a few phrases from the raga alapana. Right. So you start with the lower note and keep ascending um, the vadi and samvadi swaras as you go on. Mm -hmm. The tanam as such is um, classified through names of animals. It's very interesting to note this. So you have a gajatanam, an elephant tanam, mm -hmm. ashwatanam, that is horse tanam, mandukatanam, a frog mm -hmm. tanam. Gajatanam will be like slow undulating walk of mm -hmm. the elephant. Mm -hmm. It will be like how the elephant walks. Okay. Ashwatanam will be like the galloping of a horse. Mm -hmm. Like when you play the splits on mm -hmm. the V-neck, you use split the fingers and play. When you play phrases like that, it is called Ashwatan. Then there is Mandukatanam, when you jump from one string to the other. Uh -huh. And then you go from the second string to the first, then again go back to the second, come back to the first. Like... So when you play stuff like that, it is called Mandukatan. So these are 
see actually it should uh, you should have internalized it so well that when you are playing the tanam you should not think no i missed out on the gajatanam so i should play a few phrases which uh, you know depict the gajatanam no i missed out on the ashwatanam so I, no it doesn't happen like that mm -hmm. you have to internalize the techniques to the extent that when you play it it all comes out like an assimilated harmonious whole mm -hmm. you know so and then the unique uh, playing of tanam on three strings Hmm. the third second and the first you place your uh, left hand on those three strings and pluck with the right hand on the same three strings and you create an effect mm -hmm. it is called a tribhinna tribhinna gamakam yes. on the veena uh -huh. which can be played on a veena only and it cannot mm -hmm. be sung vocally mm -hmm. so this is one the, these are the unique uh, aspects Mm -hmm. But we have an album exclusively on Thanams. Nice. Where uh, we played uh, Thanams in about 18 ragas, some of which are common ragas and some of them are very uncommon ragas. Mm -hmm. Nice. So it's unique to the Veena and you don't need any rhythmic accompaniment. Mm -hmm. Though there are some traditions in Kerala where they use the Mridangam to accompany Thanam. Right. Uh -huh. But uh, our style is to play independent of uh, rhythmic support. See, again, the other thing is it's not a very easy thing to play. Mm -hmm. It's a very difficult thing to play. It sounds very beautiful to the ears. And believe me, in music, whatever sounds most beautiful is the most difficult to play. This is, this no, is that's the absolute yes. simple relationship. Yes. Yeah, definitely. One of the characteristics of Carnatic music is gamakams. What are your thoughts about the gamakams and how this is different from the Hindustani tradition. See, whether you say gamagam or whether you say meend, mm -hmm. they're yeah. essentially the same. Mm. It's, a, it's a type of oscillation which is unique to Indian music. I would this time use the word Indian music. Okay. Okay. So the basic concept of a meend or a gamagam is the same. Mm -hmm. But the only thing is in... In our Carnatic music, if you have a Bhairavi or a Todi or something like that, the flavors are very different. Hmm. For instance, in a Todi, you know, you cannot say which Gandharam it is. It's very important, difficult. Okay, it's not exactly, you know, second Gandharam, it is not exactly first, uh, second Rishabham. It's somewhere in between, so you can only feel it. So if you want to play that in your Veena, mm -hmm which is somewhere in between your two frets, what do you do? You don't have a choice but to use gamagam. Yes. So is gamagam a necessity or nice to have? It's a must to have. And uh, if I may add here, gamagams, they are not something that is forced upon the music. The music is gamagams in itself. Mm -hmm. You don't have gamagams, you don't have Indian classical music. Mm -hmm. And there are some gamagams which are inherent intrinsic to the fabric of Carnatic music like the Madhyama of Begada, mm -hmm. which is different from the Madhyama of Shankara Yes. It's the same Swaram, mm -hmm. but, but it's so the different in different. so many different ragas. Yeah. So that is what makes the whole exercise very fascinating. Which brings me to another question that maybe is more abstract. In, in our system of music, we have a a rigid definition, a very structured definition of what a raga is, right? And we also have this uh, 16 note system where we have like re one, re two, re three, ga one, ga two, ga three, and some of these actually overlap with each other. 
we there are two notes that overlap with two notes of the next note right so flavors of the next note can you explain to us what actually we mean when we say a ragam what constitutes a raga and why we have a system where there is this double overlap when we can have a system where there is a single overlap or where there is no overlap 16 note system is there because the 72 ragas are there <laughs> it is interchangeable the concept is interchangeable you arrive at 72 ragas only if you can think of the 16 note arrangement exactly <laughs> isn't it so uh it, the concept of the overlapping swaras comes in only when you think of the vivadi ragas when you think of the ragas with the concordant notes like your shankara varnam or kalyani it's a very simple thing that is why those ragams can be elaborated at length mm-hmm. that is why they are ghana ragas but not so the case with vivadi ragas because the swarams the notes are next to each other it's not very melodious if you keep singing the same thing mm-hmm. so they are known as discordant ragas that is why vivadi vivadi actually means discordant mm-hmm. whereas these are vadi samvadi samvadi concordant mm-hmm. okay now um, if you ask me my theory is that uh, the moment this concept was thought of mm-hmm. of this re uh, two coinciding with ga1 and re3 uh, coinciding with ga2 they created the vela frets <laughs> i think 450 years ago they created the fret base of the vela to explain this 16 uh, note system what better way i can't I... think of any any other better way to explain the melakarta system yes i agree yes, so for the 72 ragas you had only these few uh, sets of ragas mm-hmm. which could be sung on play sung and played on any other instrument mm-hmm. so when this genius thought of this concept mm-hmm. of 72 that is when the 24 fretted uh, veena was created to explain these uh, things mm-hmm. and who was the first person to uh, bring it was uh, venkatamaki who codified the 72 and it it was the person who invented uh, who invented say you know the 24 fretted veena was a person who was close, working very closely with him yeah you asked me what is a raga mm-hmm. let me give you a very fun definition of that and believe me this is not my own this is again something that came to me from my guru okay. he was a very very humorous person so he would give you things which could could remember all the time so he gave me a typical south indian example but i will give you a more global example okay now you have pasta you have uh, noodles mhm is there any difference in the taste yes depending on yes yes correct yeah you have different tastes mhm so similarly because he used to tell us about the difference between the taste of a sambar and a rasa mhm both are beautiful but they have a taste mhm okay so you cannot intermingle this taste then you land somewhere nowhere that's true right the ragas to a large extent are very similar so when you have a shankara varnam there is a certain flavor yeah. it's not always guided by the swaras that's true yes it's it's guided by the flavor of that what does that evoke in you what is the type of 
you know, em- empathy that it evokes in you. Mm-hmm. Maybe something like a, um, you know, saranga would evoke a different feeling than a todi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what have people, what have our forefathers done? They wanted to look at, okay, this is what I want to evoke. So let's put this combination of swaras and the way they should be sung in a way that it starts evoking this activity. So if I want to feel very soft and nice and things like that, there is a certain way. I want to feel very energetic and I want to feel slightly aggressive in the way I want to do things. There is a certain way of looking at it. Mm. You can't just bind it to the swaras. It actually, in my opinion, it's the reverse. You're looking at the flavor and then seeing which swaras will help me get this flavor. Mm -hmm. Codify it again so that anybody who sings that Mm -hmm. is able to largely evoke that, uh, you know, flavor. Mm -hmm. So we are a, it's a bhava-driven system. It's a bhava-driven system. If you actually, you know, analyze as to how a ragam could have been created, again, this is based on my own perception. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's not... uh, lifted from any book or anything that I've read. I feel that, you know, when people did their pranayama and yoga and uh, these uh, exercises, the sages of your many, many thousands of years ago, the vibrations that they felt within their bodies, I think each of these would have given rise to a particular swara. Mm. And it was a combination of these which would have... uh, you know, given an image of uh, Raga in their uh, minds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they used those ideas to express themselves and then it became music. So largely, when we say that our music has derived from Samaveda, that is what we mean. Because in Samaveda, they go up and down with the notes and the syllables. It's not like any other mantra chanting. Mm-hmm or any other Veda chanting. All other Vedas are chanted differently. Mm-hmm. Whereas Sama Veda has a musical intonation to it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you know, when, you, when you're able to perceive your body very subtly, you can perceive those frequencies as well. Mm-hmm. So that is what emanates. See, it's, it's an expression of feeling, right? If you really look at some ragams like Kambodhi, mm-hmm. Ananda Bhairavi, there is a, you can trace its origin to a lot of folk music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what do you, what is folk music after all? It's a question of expression of our villages. Mm-hmm. During harvest time, I would have a certain, you know, feeling, certain emotion that I want to, you know, express, etc. Yeah. So if you really, the raga is a very difficult thing to explain. It's, it's something that you can feel. It's an expression. So our music is, uh, you know, as we discuss, I'm just uh, trying to correlate everything and uh, we can safely say that the Raga system is a combination of spiritual experiences and the expressions of your mood as goes with folk music. Mm-hmm. So now I want to shift the conversation a little bit more towards uh, society and music. We have seen music evolve with different uh, classes of society, with Uh, And one of the very striking examples that I know of is how Dasa Sahitya changed everything, Uh, be it Purandara Dasa or Kanaka Dasa or uh, how they started 
composing music to kind of bring philosophy to the general people or even more strikingly than that basavanna's vachana sahitya how that changed the very definition of the working class and how we saw different caste systems music has changed our society in very real ways given this do you think music today has a role in politics and do you think we have such revolutionary reformatory musicians now who come from a classical background who are trying to change uh, some aspects which are not really reconciled with the current times see i believe music is a reflection of your emotions mm-hmm. so you do what you feel you you come out with what you feel mm-hmm. you talked about dasa music which is definitely was right yeah. if you look at bharatiyar Mm-hmm. he used music for freedom fighting mm-hmm. some of the music song compositions that he composed would create that you know urge in people to stand up for their country mm-hmm. same in bengal same thing in bengal so honestly i don't know whether this new this generation that we have been in and the next encourages us to take a stand mm-hmm. or even if we take a stand are we taking a stand understanding the depth or the maturity of what we need to do or are we just taking a stand without thinking too much about it mm-hmm. so it needs that ability to really go into the depths of why i am doing this what and if i have to stand against the british it needs what does it what did it mean what is the type of sacrifice i am ready to do for that mm-hmm. so it's that courage and that conviction and all of that coming together so you had that that sense of integrity of approach mm-hmm. which fashioned the expression of music yeah and music would be something which would bring people together, together. right like yeah. like we were just saying at the start of the interview uh, we have so many friends who with whom we learned music when we were young but mm-hmm. we still friends and what binds us yeah it's only music nothing else mm mm-hmm. so that's the easiest way to bring people together today i don't know even amongst our political environment do we have statesmen or do we <laughs> it's a kind of weird isn't it <laughs> yeah so it it probably reflects in the way the music is also being used mm. so where and there are you know natya sangeet and you know still there in places like maharashtra this natya sangeet which evokes very strong reactions and actions mm mm-hmm. so there are people who can turn the tide using music as a base mm. but they are dwindling it's i do not know whether it's because of our intense passion to earn more money is our intense passion to be economically so called uplifted mm-hmm. i don't know i mean it could be an expression of all that probably that is limiting us we are are we as generous and as large hearted as what we need to be mm-hmm. that probably will bring in a little more how principled are we on any stand today uh, uh, we had a conversation with a, a musician uh, who actually was telling us that we should play some compositions of dikshitar which relate to well being and uh, roga nivaranam as they say in uh, sanskrit mm-hmm. uh, alleviate uh, sufferings Mm-hmm. um which will probably create uh, you know help create an environment in these uh, trying times so now we are a bit coming to a point 
in a situation where we are coming to a point of frustration where we don't know where this uh, problem of covid will you know end and how are we going to be in the near future or in um, uh, about a year or a year and a half so we are also thinking in terms of musicians are thinking in terms of music as to what they could do to make others feel better mm-hmm. see uh, it's probably when you are looking for a social transformation mm-hmm. that's probably when and it is built by people who have a sense of principle people of sense of do or die mm-hmm. you know ready to make that sacrifice ready to stand for what i believe in then that's you know it becomes a very very big ingredient mm-hmm. and that's what happened if you really look at else everywhere we had we talked about dasa which was basically more from the uh, you know one aspect of life you have the social aspect we talk about the caste and the creed it made people realize that that's not what it is mm-hmm. the caste has been such an abused concept how can you bring that out yeah really when you are talking about oppression mm-hmm. thinking about you know female uh, literacy we're talking about uh, equality mm-hmm. yes music definitely keeps you know bringing those aspects and also the fact that uh, you see music is not a frivolous thing whatever genre of music you say mm-hmm. whether it's film music or whether it's classical music you have to have that discipline you have to have that sense of perfection so when you are talking music you are talking something serious yeah okay. it makes you feel happy funny whatever it does but then if you have to produce music you have to be serious mm-hmm. so when people are serious probably they will you know be able to connect through the Absolutely. that kind of music you won't believe i mean i'm sure you would know this if you just go back our ex chief minister of tamil nadu mg ramachandran mgr was a superstar of films <laughs> you must listen to the songs that he used to come in his movies <laughs> they were all about how to move people from an oppressed state to a liberated state <laughs> so when people used to sing that or people used to hum that they had that feeling we need to do that so he became very famous because of many of those songs which probably goaded people to top oppressing so it's been an instrument of change some of the you know concepts in a terms of musical sense when it happens you keep singing it because you like the t- tone probably you like the tune mm-hmm. and then that the sense of that the word starts start building inside mm-hmm. yeah i mean we had this whole come together right when lata mangeshkar sang baby mera absolutely absolutely it's still a very golden moment in the history of our country mm-hmm. yeah. independent india yeah absolutely so we also know for a fact that artists are not really given the kind of respect that they deserve and especially now currently where we are all limited to our houses we can't really go mingle with other people and artists are struggling artists who are full time doing their art their music they are struggling to even make their living what are your thoughts about how we as a society can stand up better for our artists and recognize their importance see and i'm sure jashi has a lot of things to share on this one point i would tell you is this you'll have to just go back in history again if you had a tansen being tansen 
it was because he never wanted to know when the next meal came from or where it came from. You had the patronage. Mm-hmm. Akbar patronized him. Similarly, you had the kings patronizing musicians. And that was the real golden era when, you know, innovation and good music started coming. Mm-hmm. Today, as you move ahead, again, you know, the needs are also very different. There's so many economic factors that keep coming. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, music is one of the biggest unrecognized, unorganized sector. You can say that the laborers are unorganized sector. They are. Mm -hmm. Musicians are also form a part of an unorganized sector. Mm -hmm. They can quickly fall out of favor and they can do nothing about it. So unless there are opportunities for them to be in some sort of an organized manner where there is a certain equitable distribution of some of the financial benefits that accrue. Mm -hmm. And there has to be some amount of governmental or some sort of an institutional way to do it. It is there. I'm not saying it's not that, but it's very much at its infantile stage. Okay, so yeah. yeah, so there may be a lot of people who are forced to compromise on certain things which they may not want to do as otherwise. Mm-hmm. There have been big musicians who have advised me and Jayashree not to take music as a full time. Mm-hmm. That's that's a sad things. Yeah, they said you can, but are you ready to make that compromise? Yeah, knowing you, you can't make that compromise. So sorry, don't do this. Mm-hmm. It's not going to work for you. Mm-hmm. The sacrifices that you may need to do in terms of how you want to project yourself, what are the type of things that, what is the, what we say in Hindi, right? The Lakshman Rekha. Mm-hmm. What is the Lakshman Rekha for me? Is a critical and a crucial question. Mm-hmm. If it were an organized sector where I knew 25th of the month, 30th of the month, I'm going to get my salary. Mm-hmm. I would work in a certain way. If there is an equitable method of judging a person, equitable method of getting concerts, Mm -hmm. then an equitable method of paying, remunerating, Mm -hmm. in line with the socio-economic condition that is prevailing today, Mm -hmm. then I may think of music differently. Yes. Otherwise, I have to say, this is my passion. I'm ready to take anything that comes along my way. I'm ready to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. That's another way. Yeah, if you're right. caught somewhere in between, then you have a bad time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, the advice given to us by elders and even our gurus, you know, uh, they told us that your expertise is something different. Mm-hmm. You keep that at, at a professional level. You strive to, to give the best every time you go on stage, but you don't depend on the stage for your livelihood. Mm-hmm. It's so, very difficult. It's a very fickle thing. It's a very it's a very fickle thing. And now, definitely everything is changing. Mm-hmm. But the good thing is uh, there's a lot of uh, stuff that is happening online. And I'm sure uh, there will be a system devised slowly, which will also remunerate the artists who are invited to perform uh, live. Uh, I think if we see that soon, it might change a few things. Mm-hmm. But then... To depend solely on that uh, for uh, you know bread and butter and your to bring your dinner on the table, I don't think it's the best idea. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, one last question, I think, before the end. Uh, Jai Shivam, you do the music thing full time, right? You teach and you perform yes. full time. Uh, so, for you as a woman who's been in this art tradition, do you think women are given the kind of respect they deserve in this cocoon that we're in, that is the world of Carnatic classical music? Yes, definitely. I have no qualms in, you know, uh, admitting that. Uh, at least from my own experience and from the experience of many of my uh, friends who are leading musicians, mm -hmm. we are um, treated very well mm -hmm. and very respectfully. And uh, we are just happy to be in this uh, space. Yes. Sure. Okay. See, uh, there is another point to hear being respected and being taken is how you come across mm -hmm. is as important as anything else. Mm -hmm. If there is a certain, let me be very, very honest. If there is a certain financial security that's behind you, mm -hmm. you appear very different yeah. than from a situation where you know that this is where my next, you know, morsel of bread is going to come from. Mm -hmm. Certain decisions that you may take or you may not want to take would also be dependent on that. Yeah. It is very, very painful, but that's the fact. That's the reality. But okay, there is a certain attitudinal aspect also where the way you interact, the way you talk, the way you mingle with them, that also probably brings a lot of respect or people take you for granted. That's a different matter. But there is a certain sense of financial security one must have before. It's like getting into business. Okay, so you unless you know that for the next 18 months or 24 months, you can live without that money. You don't get into business. Yeah. Same, way, same way, unless you're ready to take all that it gives you, you probably are bound by the need for that finance. Mm -hmm. Some people, for instance, may not want to take classes. It's a different thing for Jayashree because she enjoys being a teacher. Mm -hmm. There are some people who may not want to be a teacher. They may not want 70 students or 80 students. But guess what? If I don't have that, given the fact that I get my, you know, performance chance once in a while, I need the steady income. Mm -hmm. Definitely, yeah. So it's it's a different, it's a very tight world. I mean, it's, you have to do a little bit of tight rope walking. That is not to say that this is only uh, speaking of musicians. There's the same case in many other professions. But when we talk of music, I think we have to say these things. Yeah, because well. the only thing is, as I said, it becomes a part of the unorganized sector. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If somebody likes you, you move on. If somebody doesn't like you, what happens? Where, what is the downward impact if somebody doesn't like you? So you are very careful not to rub people the wrong side. Mm -hmm. Be careful to do, say or do things which probably you may want to say it, you don't want to say it, or you say it, you don't want to say it. It could be either ways. Yeah. You know, you want to be diplomatically right. For reasons other than the fact that you are by nature diplomatic, you may be not. But you know, the, at the end of it all, it's just about the music. I Correct. think you should just be true to what that you stand definitely. for and what you want to stand for. Or and, don't get into it. Yeah, or if you're willing to make uh, compromises on your brand of music, then it's up to you. But if you want to stick your uh, tradition, then I think it's your call ultimately. Any last words for the listeners? Okay, I, I think I have one last word. I think there are just to see. 
I look at the objective of music in a very different way. We talked about, you know, techniques. We talked about everything. Mm -hmm. There is just one superseding objective that music needs to provide. That is enjoy. True. All other things are subservient to that one objective. You need to be, when you are with music, you're not with anything else. Mm -hmm. It gives you a certain exhilaration, some happiness. That's sounds fun. My last words for this interview would be, if I'm a listener, mm -hmm. I don't go judge. I soak in the music mm -hmm. and uh, I try to appreciate the good points of the music and be one with the mood that the artist is wanting to portray. Mm -hmm. If I'm an artist, I give my best on stage. Mm -hmm. If I'm a teacher, I give it my all. So that sums it up for me. Oh, that's As a listener, don't judge. As an artist, give your best. As a teacher, give it your all. And that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's been great to have you here. Thank you so much for having us. We really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, me too. In fact, when you when we have this conversation of something like this, uh, inexplicably, there is a certain amount of introspection as well. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Right. So each time you are introspecting and saying this is what you believe in. Mm -hmm. So where are you in terms of this? How far or how near are you to this what you believe? Mm -hmm. So there is a certain introspection that goes deep within us. Whenever we have such conversations. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so I think for even for that, we probably need to thank you for coming up with such a wonderful you know, time together. Thank you so much. Very thought-provoking uh, <laughs> interview. Thank you. I'm really glad you liked it. But thank you for being here again. That was the Veena couple, Jashri and JT Jairaj Krishnan, talking to us about Carnatic Music, and The Veena. To listen to more of their music, log on to veenajj.com. That is V-E-E-N-A-J-J.com. For more references about what we discussed in our podcast today, log on to our webpage, ninadamusic.blogspot.com. Make sure you follow us on our Facebook page or our Twitter account or our Instagram account for updates. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time.